Now, good morning, everyone. I have the amazing David Nally on this morning, and he's head of HR in Woodies. First of all, I want to start off with congratulating David and his team in Woodies, because before I brought him on for the podcast, I was reading up on the amazing things they've actually brought into the business over the last 12 months. Um, they've won the great places to work, um, so well done to them and their team, and they've gotten that certified just gone November, so that's um, for the year ahead. So well done. I know that's a huge achievement for you and for all of the teams in the stores. Um, his HR team won team of the year. So well done again for that. And they were the best L&D organization of the year. And that was a second year in a row. So I'm really interested in seeing what David is doing, strategies him and his team are coming up with that are really making them stand out in the retail space because we know retail has had a lot of challenges over COVID. So I'm really excited to hear about what David is doing with his team. It's sounds like you're ticking all the boxes you're doing so much there and um, another one which I was really um, interested to see was the best places to work for women and um, which you won um, in 2021 that was the third consecutive year so again that's a really nice from an inclusion um, and diversity piece to see that as well in there I was really excited so David lovely to have you on um, tell me a little bit about what's been going on in Woody's through the pandemic um, yeah, the pandemic's been a bit crazy for us, uh, similar to a lot of businesses out there. Um, I would say we're one of the big winners of COVID, you know, particularly with lockdowns and people being at home and having nothing to do other than DIY. Um, it really, really ramped up our business, um, both from an online perspective and, and then the demand on our stores. So we went into 2020 with an average headcount of somewhere in the region of 13 to 1400 colleagues, depending on the time of year, to having to very quickly increase our headcount to 1700. And we've maintained that now pretty much for the last 18 months um, in, in terms of having three, 400 more colleagues than we would normally have within the business. So it's been it's been interesting. That's fantastic. That's amazing the way you can scale that up. I suppose what you're scaling the business, what did you come across? Because obviously a lot of retailers were struggling to communicate with their colleagues through COVID because they didn't really know um, all depending on all these different um, these different uh, things that were happening every month. We're waiting for those updates. It was very nail biting stuff. We were thinking what was happening? Were we going into work? Were we not going into work? How did you keep that going, that communication with the team and the engagement? We were pretty well set up, thankfully, from a comms perspective. So we have an app called WorkVivo. It's a web-based and, and mobile phone-based app. And we had spent a number of years getting colleagues to engage with that app. So 99% of our colleagues actively use it on a monthly basis. It's very much Facebook style. Um, when the pandemic hit, the first two weeks was a learning curve for us. We had a, an internal communication strategy. We had a tried and tested way that colleagues would engage with the HR team and with the leadership team on the WorkVivo app. With, when the pandemic hit, obviously there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of misinformation out there. Um, people were a little bit scared. They were fearful of coming to work. They had questions that we didn't know the answer to. And pretty much overnight, it became nearly like it moved from a kind of Instagram feel of internal comms to a nearly Twitter style feel. So lots of you know contentious statements being made, lots of contentious questions being asked, people having very strong viewpoints. 
Um, so we, about two weeks since the pandemic, had to look at and revise our internal comms strategy um, and how we managed internal comms within the business. So we ended up manning Work Vivo from about six in the morning with members of the HR team right through to about two o'clock in the morning um, was that was the latest I recall responding to a colleague comment and and trying to get a handle on I guess some element of panic um, with, with some people within the business um, but we decided very quickly that we're a trust-based business we're very transparent from an internal comms perspective we keep it really simple we be as transparent as we can we make our comms accessible to everybody in the business and that's it. Um, so we pretty quickly said, actually, that's the principles we need to follow here. We need to let everybody openly ask the questions that they want to and to make the statements that they want, unless they're disruptive to the business or they're offensive to colleagues within the business. Um, and then we said we'll open, openly answer them honestly, truthfully. If we can't answer, we'll tell colleagues we can't answer. Um, as we kind of went in then kind of four or five weeks in and we started to get used to the government updates, what we tended to have was comms and FAQs ready to go. The minute the Taoiseach had given us update, we had thought of every type of scenario that could be coming out. And within 20 minutes, we would have a comms ready to go that answered all the questions. What does this mean for our business? What does it mean for our colleagues? So our colleagues thought, some of them thought we had some inside track into the government. We hadn't, we just had really well thought out comms and FAQs ready to go. And then we just managed the, the Work Vivo app to see what was coming through in terms of commentary and questions and answered them as best as we could in the context. Yeah. And has that evolved, I suppose, your communication strategy out of coming out of that and um, evolving the app? Has have you seen that level of communication improve because you've had to do it in a different way, maybe than than in a face to face way? Yeah, well, it, it's something that had been in trail um, probably for about a year or so beforehand. What we had, we had tweaked our internal comm strategy in 2019. When, when we introduced Work Vivo, because we we were very cognizant of the fact that centrally the HR team or the leadership team can communicate something out. But when you're relying on 35 or 40 or 50 different managers to then relay that message to 12 or 1300 people, that it always ends up with variants of what you intended it to be. So in 2019, we had said, actually, if there's anything from a key business perspective, you know, strategy, yes, we'll always tend to brief the managers first, but actually, instead of sending out a manager's briefing pack, we will issue out an article on Work Vivo or we'll issue out a post on Work Vivo, explain it to colleagues what we're doing, what it means for them, why we're doing it. And then we'll answer the questions. And invariably, we saw that people, I, I would say the sky is blue and somebody would interpret it that I'd said the sky was black, the comments, the question, but I'd be able to openly or any, any members of the team will be able to openly respond and go, Louise, I see that you've interpreted what we said this way just to re-clarify this is what we're saying so we actually said work fever from 2019 was the way we would communicate directly to all at once rather than relying on 35 or 40 or 50 different people to disseminate a message that was critical for us yeah it's really important yeah it's really good and it, it again it takes probably takes that extra workload off those other the leadership teams to have to then trickle that information down as well i can imagine yeah 
I suppose from and from an engagement piece and, and a retention piece, which seems to be the biggest pain point and, and talking to a couple of people even over the last couple of weeks, David, um, a lot of retailers are struggling to retain. They, they they've seen a huge we've seen from the great resignation. There has been a good a big turnover, I suppose, of people in the business, specifically retail, really, in hospitality and it specifically. And I know you had to recruit and you had a big surge in business. But I suppose, what's your thoughts or what's your strategy going forward? Um, even at the moment, what do you do to really keep those in the business that you want to keep in the business? Um, we're no different than other retailers in terms of we we have seen turnover um, has increased at certain points in the in the last twelve months particularly. Um, from our perspective, we're values led, so we tend to start everything with our with our company values. Um, so we use those as a guiding principle for everything that we're doing. We tend to try to be down to earth to have the type of environment where people can be themselves um, inside of work and out, and obviously bring their personal selves to light uh, to work. Um, to have fun, to communicate with our people, um, we've put a big focus on internal progression um, and you know giving people opportunities or connecting people to opportunities to grow their career and grow their salary. Um, but for me, I think the key thing is the environment. It's making sure that we have a safe working environment, physically safe for our colleagues, whether they're in our stores or our support office, but also psychologically safe to be themselves, to suggest feedback, to communicate with people at all level of, at levels of the business and understand that they'll have a voice and that will be heard. Um, and then we look at our Great Place to Work survey and all of the, we, you know, we get pretty much 12, 1300 comments in there um, from, from colleagues when they complete it. So looking at all of that feedback and seeing how it feeds into a people and a HR strategy. And we've done that this year. You, key themes coming out of our survey, obviously a lot around wellness um, and a lot of appreciation around some of the stuff we've done on wellness in the last few years. Um, a lot on rewards. So we, we've, we're just going through our pay review at the moment and we've looked at total rewards packages. Uh, throughout the pandemic, we were conscious that we were increasing our, our obviously our headcount, but doing that because our profit was increasing. Uh, so we were quite conscious to give back to our colleagues where, where we could. And over the last six or seven years, we've had an engagement roadmap where we would have 10 or 12 events where we give colleagues little gifts, little tokens of appreciation throughout the year, team, themes to particular things like Valentine's, Halloween, um, Christmas. And we looked during the pandemic and said, we, we need to keep doing it, but we need to do it a little bit differently. So we did things like um, treating everybody that works for us and their families to a takeaway at Halloween. And uh, when the economy started to reopen, um, we had an initiative called Kickstart. So we wanted to thank our colleagues, but equally to help other businesses that hadn't fared as well as us throughout the pandemic. So we spent a couple of hundred thousand euro and we said to our colleagues, there's a list of national attractions, things like Tato Park, the zoo, photo wildlife, Bay Sports and Athlone. Um, pick where you want to go and where you want to bring your family and we'll send you a voucher to do that for a family day away. Um, and then heading into Christmas, you do, do you want a super value voucher to help with a little bit with the shopping or would you like a just eat voucher to treat the family to a takeaway? Um, we introduced enhanced hourly rates of pay um, early on in COVID when things were quite demanding. We introduced lunch allowances. We introduced exceptional bonuses. 
Um, so we would normally give our colleagues a, a prepaid MasterCard at Christmas. We introduce also then a bonus to follow on from that in February to share the profits that we were making. So for us, it's been about communication, treating people with respect, having a safe environment and sharing the rewards that we're making as a business with the colleagues. Yeah, it's really interesting. And loads of, I think, really, really kind of easy wins, really, when you look at it. And, you know, you touched on their wellness, which I think is a big one. And, and we talk about resilience in the workplace. And I think and resilience building and all of that is super important, especially when we come against those challenges, both outside and inside of work. And what I loved what you said there, David, was that they bring themselves and their own personal self to work um, and I remember many many years ago I'm going back to early 2000s and I I was in a, a particular organization and and they, we were always told leave your personal problems at the front door before you go into work Louise you know and it's just it always used to it never used to sit well with me and I used to go into work and I'd always ask people how they're doing how they're feeling how their families are and it's just it's so nice to see that we're now in 2022 and people like yourself, David, that is, is head of HR is, is encouraging people to bring those things into work because we can't essentially just leave them at the front door. We have to go in and, and, and show a real authentic self and be that in the workplace, which is really nice to hear. Um, how, how do you, I suppose, when we look at culture and, and you're talking a lot around there and recognition was one area you touched on, um, you know, showing people that they're appreciated and this whole, I suppose, thing around creating psychological safety in the workplace. Um, can you talk to me around how you help store managers um, understand how to create that environment? Because from a HR piece, it's, it's really nice to say it. But um, for anyone listening in that maybe um, is in a leadership role, is maybe has a smaller business, um, maybe they're a small SME old SME um, stakeholder and they have maybe one or two sites. How do they create that where they don't have a big HR team, David, but they want to have that psychological safety? They want to create similar to what you've done, but on a smaller scale. I don't think there's any magic solution or, or answer. Um, just to point out, we don't have a massive HR team either. So across the whole HR function, there's eight of us supporting the 1,700 colleagues. So people tend to naturally assume there's HR people in each of our stores and 20 or 30 people in the office. It's eight people for the entire business. Um, we work very closely with our managers, with our operations team. We're in regular meetings with them on a monthly basis, looking at data, having very data-driven discussions about our people and where our business is at. Um, but actually, if you strip it back to the start of our Great Place to Work journey and what we've done along the way, we have been consistent in so far as we always look at the values and ask, is this decision is this initiative, is what we're doing in line with our values that we created with our colleagues and our customers? And if it's not, we don't do it. If it contravenes our values, we absolutely don't do it. We communicate openly, so we've democratized communication across the business. So everyone can see pretty much anything from an internal comms perspective, unless it's HR sensitive or commercially sensitive information, which is quite limited in terms of what we keep out of the I guess the public sphere for our colleagues everyone in our business can pop onto work vivo they can ask me a question openly they can ask the ceo a question openly and they can expect to get an answer um, the ceo blogs on a weekly basis 
we do regular meetings with our managers. We take them away for conferences. We do weekly meetings um, in terms of the regional managers communicating to them. Um, we have communication structures so that our stores can feedback formally on a weekly, uh, weekly basis. There's a, a weekly feedback process everyone can can feed into that. It then gets discussed at a weekly trading meeting and is communicated back to the colleagues publicly in terms of you said this and this is the answer, this is what we're gonna do. Um, and then we get out and about to our stores. So we tend to have very informal store visits, whether it's the leadership team, the HR team, other functions within the office. And usually what we try to do is to avoid the manager. So we tend to arrive and go, great nice to meet you I'll pop over to you and we'll have a coffee or whatever at the end of my visit but actually all I'm going to do for the next three or four hours is walk around and ask the colleagues how they're feeling how we can be doing better for them is there any feedback that they have operationally or from a people perspective um, and that's all that's all the kind of informal stuff I guess that we do we've done formal training so back in 2015 we put every one of our people leaders through three years of leadership development in 2020, we then moved into inclusive leadership with, um, with the Irish Centre for Diversity and Inclusion to train our managers on how to build, retain and have an inclusive team, um, regardless of people's backgrounds. And that training has been great, but actually we knew from our Great Place to Work survey from, from kind of 2017 onwards, we knew that at the time our challenge was that we weren't reflective of national demographics. So we weren't as diverse as we could have been. We weren't horrendously off, but, but we just weren't reflective of broader society. But we did know from our engagement survey that once you joined the business, you felt very included regardless of your background. So we score in the high 90s in terms of colleagues feeling colleagues feeling that they can be themselves regardless of sexual orientation 99% of colleagues agree with that statement 98% of colleagues feel they can be themselves regardless of their racial background or their ethnic background 98% of colleagues feel they can be themselves and are treated equally regardless of gender so we we know that we have a, an inclusive business that's an element of that is the leadership style but the bulk of that is just our colleagues, the people that we recruit into our business that stay with us, that tend not to have egos, that tend not to be combative people largely, and they tend to be quite friendly. And there's lots of, I, I brought one of my new team members on a, on a tour of our stores recently, and they were coming from Honduras, and I took them through kind of an induction to Ireland, showed them Father Ted. And when we went to lots of our stores, he's got, there's lots of Mrs. Doyle's working for us. So you go into Woody's, you visit from a support office perspective, you're offered cake, you're offered buns, you're offered tea and coffee. People want to chat to you about yourself inside of work and outside of work. So it's, you know, there's lots that we do centrally, but equally there's 1700 people that just bring themselves to work and they're down to earth. And, and that's, I guess, the key for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love I love the these the it seems like it's a very much there is a lot of departments in Woody's listening to you. You've a small HR department, well done eight and seventeen hundred, that's a big headcount. Um there is obviously buying departments and all of this, but it seems like your communication strategy is very much a flatline strategy where you look 
um, to, to be in, in contact with people that are head of HR. Maybe some organisations don't have that ability of that um, flatline structure when there is a couple of layers within the business. So it's 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 I think that really to me um, from seeing a lot of retailers and um, both small and both multi um, you know very very large scale ones is is having that flatline structure with communicating with each other. I think it's it's a huge huge factor in 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 having that you know we talked about psychological safety but having that ability to be able to touch points with people in different levels of the organization and not feeling that because you're at a certain level your voice isn't heard or you're not at a certain position in the company because I'm not a manager my opinion isn't valid enough which is really nice to hear would you say that's what your culture is like in in Woody's? Yeah, I I was just reading our CEO's blog the other day and he talked about the great place to work result and how obviously the leaders in the business were responsible um, or, for, or partly responsible for driving it. Um, but equally, he talked about actually when I talk about leaders in their business, I'm not talking about people with manager titles or heads of departments. I'm talking about all the unofficial leaders in our business, the go-to people within our stores, within our departments that have a huge impact regardless of their job title or their, or their level. And that That is our culture. It, it is, no, you, we, we don't tend to have errors and graces. We don't tend to have people with massive egos. We, we are competitive. We like to be the best at everything that we put our hands to or at least try to be. Um, but actually it's, done in a fairly authentic way you know we pat ourselves on the back for the awards but we don't ever get too wrapped up in them we move on you know the the business keeps going and and we're busy so we don't sit around thinking aren't we great that we're you know (laughs) the best large workplace or best large retailer in Ireland and that's not our culture And, and if we ever got to that point I think we'd have lost our way. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. You touched on there, I suppose, about diversity. And I seen that um, with the great places to work that that you had, obviously, your inclusion with women in the workplace. Obviously, DIY um, historically is known as more of a male driven industry. So obviously, you know, nor, you would you would obviously think that that would be naturally more men would be in that area. What have you done to I suppose, to, to get it to that place where it is, if you were to to look at where it was and, and to get to the point where it is now, where you are, you know, um, at that place where it's more inclusive of women, how do you do that in a very much male-dominated industry, I suppose? Because it's a little bit like construction, not the same, but as in, you know, how do, how do you get to that place? Uh, we have actively focused on, I guess, the female agenda or or the kind of female employee experience um, over the years, but we focus on lots of other areas as well. We focus on ethnicity. We focused on orientation. Um, we've taken a bit of a you know, bit of a lead from our colleagues for, let's say, things like pride, where I I wasn't a huge kind of advocate of a celebrating pride a couple of years ago. I didn't feel it was where our business was at. But then our colleagues started to celebrate it on Work Vivo and we took the lead and said, actually, we need to do something a little bit more formal. Um, from a female perspective, we've you know, celebrated International Women's Day, um, but practically. So the first time we celebrated it, we took the feedback on board from our Great Place to Work survey that we had in some areas of our business jobs for the boys and jobs for the girls. And 
we took that feedback and we created a female an all-female training event. We brought close to 100 of our female colleagues to a central training location. We had guest speakers. They had a nice bit of lunch, but actually then they started to learn about the areas of our business that they told us they felt were male-dominated. So everything a modern woman needs to learn about, like ironmongery and how to lay a floor. Uh, we took that feedback and translated it into, into a training program for that day. And then we did the flip on International Men's Day. We, tra- we trained our male colleagues on homewares and balloon bars and the more f- traditionally female-oriented areas of our store. Then when we kind of went into the wider diversity and inclusion space, when we started to look at orientation and to look at ethnicity, uh, we said, actually, there's a couple of things we need to do here. Practically, we need to train people. We need to educate people across the business on why we're doing it, why it's important from a legal perspective, from a business perspective, from a pure ethics perspective. Um, then we need to put our, you know, we need to not just talk about it, we need to actually put plans in action. So for the first time we celebrated Pride, we did e-learnings for everybody in the business on LGBTQI status. We took over our internal comms for the month and our internal newsletter became a Pride newsletter, interviewing people across the business at all levels, sharing their stories. We then underpinned that with a number of new policies. So we had a diversity and inclusion policy, an updated conduct, code of conduct, um, gender recognition, um, reasonable accommodation for disability, and uh, lots of lots of policies then that made it clear where our position was. Um, and then we did little celebratory events and we do things like celebrating cultures and we send out nice gifts at, at Pride and, and for International Women's Day and, and what have you. But it's been a couple of different things that we've done that work together to just create that environment where people know the business is saying that they're happy for me to be myself. The business is saying that regardless of my background, that I can progress. And we're seeing that now. So we're seeing more more people from different backgrounds come into the business from different backgrounds move up through the org structure so starting to see an increase in female leaders particularly at kind of management level um but it's, it's all about doing a couple of things really well really simply clarify your position understand where you want to get to um and, and then just create that environment where people can be themselves and that's critical for me we were talking about international women's day recently and one of my colleagues and i were having a conversation and she was saying she was being interviewed about what makes woody's a great place to work for women and i went back to my story which was i joined woody's seven years ago when i took redundancy from from a previous employer i was delighted to do so at the time uh, but the job market wasn't great woody's approached me I looked and thought that's probably not the type of environment that I'm going to survive in or do well in um, for any great period of time being that I'm coming, you know, I'm a gay man with no DIY skills or interest in DIY. And I came into the business and about you know, within days thought, oh my God, this is the most inclusive business I've ever worked in. Being gay is a non-issue. And I tend to point to myself as an example. I came in within operations seven years ago, and this is my fifth role now within Woody's, and I took a career turn into HR. And so there's opportunity there for anybody, regardless of the the background. And that's what Susan and I were talking about. It's not that it's just a great place to work for women. It's actually a great place to work for everyone, regardless of, of what your background is. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And your own journey, I suppose, David, you've been in Woody's for a while. What have you kind of, you said you, you diverted there into into the kind of the HR element. What would you say your journey, if you could describe it to someone, what has your journey been like in Woody's? What is your kind of ups or your downs or um, has been along the way? Um, far more ups than downs. And if you asked me to name a down, I'd, I'd really struggle, to be honest. Um, one of the things that struck me early on was the constant discussion about what's your next move? Where do you want to be? Um, and that's something that we're quite open about. We, we do... Um, we do professional development reviews every colleague gets one twice a year and a key part of that is where do you want to get to and how can we support you with training or with opportunity within Woody's or within the Grafton group and so that jumped out to me and I had never thought about a career in HR but then to move from operations within a year of joining the business I moved into the L&D team then ended up um, lead, leading um, on engagement. So I was head of engagement for a couple of years, went back to college, supported by the business. Um, when I said I wanted to become um, a more traditional HR manager um, and moved into that role two years ago and, and then was promoted to, to the current role in January. So for me, there's been lots of learning. It's been a big adjustment to go from being operations or commercial based in, into people um, but it's been it's been fast. There's been a huge amount of buy-in, so it's actually it's quite easy in our business to do lots from a people perspective, particularly even with the, you know with the small enough resources that we have within the HR team, because I don't view it that we have a HR team of eight people. I view it that we have a HR a core HR team of eight people, and then we have at least fifty other people standing behind us that jump in on recruitment, jump in on engagement initiatives, on company events um, that support us. And we tend to work that way across the business. So I will some days look and go, how am I on a commercial working group or how am I on an operations or an IT project? But I'm on it because I bring a different lens into the project. And you tend to find a lot of the HR projects will have a representative from operations, a representative from marketing and digital, somebody from IT, somebody from commercial, because actually they they experience our business, but in a different way than the HR team. So um, we tend to work quite quite cross-functionally and supportively. So for, for me, that they're, they're the key things. It's, it's fast-paced. We do a lot around learning. We communicate great but we tend to work together and work together quite closely and um, to support each other. Yeah. It seems like there's a big collaboration piece there going on in the business at the root of it. You collaborate, that flatline structure enables you to, to, to work um, across other departments. And I think something that came up quite recently was around some retailers work in silos. So you have, you know, the marketing department working in one silo and communicating to the to the retail store. Then you have um you have the buying department communicating to that manager you know this product isn't performing how are we going to get it up and then you have you know the marketing team coming in going you know footfall is low you know kpis are low you know we're, we're doing this marketing campaign so we have all of these different functions 
Um, but it's what's come through and everything you've discussed with me is communication, communication. So by enabling these apps and different things for people to communicate because they're getting the communication at different levels and at different parts of that process, because there could be something at the marketing process piece that the store manager is trying to implement, but then the colleagues are implementing a different part of that process piece. So it, it seems to be communication seems to be very much key of of everything you do in the business is that fair to say yeah i i regularly joke and there's an element of truth to it that about half of my job is presenting either what we have done and how it's gone or what we're going to do and seeking feedback on it and it's probably not quite 50 percent, but it is a good chunk of my time is spent purely on communicating with the business and, and gathering feedback and that would be typical of, of a lot of people, in, particularly from a head of department level or at our leadership team level. We have people that are there to do the day job that are brilliant, that know exactly how to do the day job. We Our role is to get out of the way, to create the environment, to support them and to take the feedback and make it actionable. And the only way you do that is communicating non-stop um, across, across the week and, and making yourself available. So if a, if a colleague rings me and I say I've got 90 different things I need to do, I need to answer that call or I need to answer that call as quickly as possible and get back to them. That's my That tends to be my mindset. It's very much tasks need to be done and sometimes tasks and deadlines need to move to get out of the way and let us focus in on the people and the communication piece. Yeah. Really, really, inter- really nice to hear actually from it from a head of HR, but really nice to hear what you're doing, because we all say it. But I think, you know, you're this is what we're actually doing on a daily, weekly basis. Um, and it's not kind of a communication piece that's going out monthly, but we're looking at how can we embed that into, you know, our morning briefs, into our floor walks, into whatever way we set up the business on a day to day basis, um, which is really important, I think. Um, touching on it was a lot of a lot of retailers at the moment. Coaching and mentoring is huge at the moment. Um, I do a lot of coaching um, within retail and, and many years ago coaching, you know, we said we were coaching when we were really training. It was very much prescriptive and not facilitative. Um, how how is how is Woody's, I suppose, as a business um, really looking at coaching or are you looking at embedding that more in the business or is it something that you've done historically or how do you do that as a retailer? Because you're quite big. Yeah, it's it's at the core of our leadership development program. So we have a program called Accelerate that all people managers go on when they join the business. Um, and there's a good chunk of that is dedicated to, to coaching. Um, the start of that program is very much insights led. So you understand your insights, colors. There's a workshop on how you communicate with different styles and how you flex your styles. And then we go into coaching and we've given our managers, I'm sure I I couldn't name all of them, but 100 powerful coaching questions that they have that they can refer back to when they need to have a difficult conversation or when they need to give feedback and and help somebody come on a bit of a journey with them. Um, So it's it's all within the leadership development course. We give feedback quite regularly. Um, Some days it feels great. Some days you're kind of going, if I hear the word feedback one more time, my head's going to explode. Um, But we have that culture and it comes, again, it comes from the top down. Our CEO regularly blogs every few months. Nobody is beyond getting feedback in this business. If he's doing something that he needs to get a bit of feedback on, 
there's lots of people around them that will give them that feedback and they're not necessarily the leadership team. It could be a colleague on the shop floor that will corner him when he's out every Friday on visits and tell him what's going well or what's not going well or what's not connecting. Um, so we, we have lots of feed. We're, we're a very feedback orientated business and we constantly reiterate, you know, if your manager needs coaching, go off and coach them, go off and tell them the feedback, tell them what you need to see from them, have a have an adult conversation. Um, and equally, then we we obviously expect that of our, of our leaders to not walk by a problem. Um, if there is an issue to deal with it head on and in a human way to understand if there's an issue outside of work that's driving a particular behavior or issue and see what we can do to support it. But most importantly, to make the colleague aware of where the shortfall is and what the expectation is or or if a colleague wants to progress to help them with a with a personal development plan um but all all back to kind of real practical on the job or throughout the working week um two-way feedback for, for us is key yeah um we used to see a lot i suppose through the years it's obviously changed a lot but um we, I was having a discussion with someone there over the last couple of weeks and I love to hear other people's insights and takes on it around when I used to work in retail many many years ago it's obviously changed a lot through the last couple of years but normally promotions would work if you were a great worker okay so if you're a great great worker we would promote you because you're great at working it doesn't necessarily mean David that you've the people skills it just means you're really really good in that role so what we would end up doing is we promote people and based on maybe you know they're they're really hard worker they come in they're very flexible they're motivated whatever that is and we get put them in those positions they necessarily don't always have the skill set to maybe you know you talked there about feedback delegation stuff like that how how do you, I suppose, if for anyone listening out there that is in those businesses that do that don't have those things put in place because a lot of people have smaller businesses, how do we kind of tackle that or what way would you look at maybe um ensuring that doesn't happen in a business? Um well we have regular regular meetings with the operations team. So HR and operations sit down every month and we go through about 50 PowerPoint slides of data and we have a conversation and we keep relating it back to the people that are sitting behind the data. Um we have formal ways of, of people progressing within their business within the business. We have things like a retail apprenticeship program that upskills people over two years with the skills to move from being a team member to leading the team. Um, there's other educational initiatives, things like our retail degree program, um, our leadership development program um, obviously plays a part in helping you move from a non-leadership role to a leadership role. But again, it's it's back to actually being out and about and, and meeting people. So we've had great success in the, in the last 14 months of getting people to progress from our stores into our support office, which was something we traditionally struggled with. We, we would end up filling entry-level roles within the office with external candidates. And we were scratching our head for a long period of time going, why can't we get our people to progress? Because obviously, if you're moving from retail shop floor to a more professional environment there's a different rewards package and it becomes more attractive in terms of working areas and everything but actually the way we've driven it over the last over the last 12 14 months has been either me a member of the hr team or a member of the operations team going louise 
love what I'm seeing from you. Like I've gone, I've met you on a store visit. We had a quick chat. You have, you seem to have the right attitude. You have the right spark. And us picking up the phone and saying, have, are you aware of this role that we think you could be great for? So we're starting to do a lot more around talent spotting, particularly within the HR team and then with the, with the area managers as well to say, do you know what we're writing about? We meet our people on a weekly basis. We know the people that have the type of attributes that we want in our leaders. And sometimes those people that we think are so brilliant and would make a brilliant leader just don't have the confidence and need somebody to actually pick up the phone and go, Louise, I met you last month, loved what I saw, and I think you'd be great for this role. Will you come and have a conversation, um, a virtual coffee, an informal chat about the role? And it gives them a little bit of confidence to go, actually, I can do that. And I just never thought about the fact that I could do it before. So there's a bit about just it's as much as we're data driven, it all keeps coming back to the human connection and just being personable. Yeah, that's amazing. It's really interesting to hear that. And I think it, it goes back to your whole um, from the minute you came on the call today was around your your you've been very consistent in where the business is. We talk a lot about our why, David. So I'd love to finish up with what is David and Ali's why? What's his purpose outside of Woody's? What drives you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, outside of Woody's, I guess, um, just having a happy, happy personal life. I have a, a great um, circle of friends that all get along really well with each other, that, that are really supportive, a, a great family. Um, you know, just having a happy, easygoing life tends to drive me. Inside of work, I've always said I'd love to be in a role where I have enough influence to have a positive impact on people across the business and thankfully that's kind of where, where I've landed and generally that's my guiding principle I don't think anyone of us get out of work uh, get out of bed in the morning thinking I'm going to go to work and I'm going to make people feel bad about themselves or ruin their day um, but actually every everything I tend to do from a people perspective even if it's the not so nice side of HR you know we've caught somebody stealing from us or doing something inappropriate there's a human sitting there at the back of it so actually how do you have just a really one-on-one conversation or how do you do something from my perspective that impacts 1700 people largely in a positive way and that's kind of what I tend to think about when I'm working how, how do I leave this interaction or how do I land this project in a way that's going to make people feel good about themselves and hopefully make them feel a little bit happier in the roles at Woody's. Yeah, there's been a really interesting conversation, David, and loads of loads of tidbits, loads around wellness, loads around different initiatives you're doing, small, some on large scale that people can definitely have a think about. What's come through on this throughout consistently is feedback, is um, keeping your hand on the pulse, and that's from every level of the organisation. Um, and it doesn't matter if you have a title because um, great ideas come from every place and everybody. So it's just, it's really interesting. I love the approach of a flatline communication structure where we look at everyone within the organisation being open and being transparent enough to have that. And you can see why Woody's have done so well in their surveys. And it's a testament that you actually take that data and you do something with it because that's how it's evolved over the last number of years. And you can see that. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me this morning. I really appreciate it, David. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Thanks a million. Thank you.